Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. survive we made it to another year together so honored to be back with you somewhere between abnormal and paranormal i am jeremy scott 2023's shows kick off tonight and this is going to be a big year for us we've got lots of irons in the fire of course i'm not much of an announcement uh, or a hype kind of person that stuff will just happen when it happens and we'll roll out those announcements when we roll out those announcements but in the meantime you come here for a show and for some intrigue and for some into the paranormal somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. So we will deliver yet once again tonight on this, the 546th episode of the program that we have spent together. I don't throw those episodes out often enough. It is certainly not to brag, but some people like to use them for reference. Certainly when they're hearing parts of the show and they like to go back and listen, they know exactly what episode to look for. Tonight on the program, we're going to be delving into the recent reports of lights in the sky uh, from a different angle, so to speak, than we have over the past couple of weeks on the program. As you know, we've had our pulse on some pretty uh, groundbreaking uh, trends that are going on with these reports, and we vow to cover them from all angles, and certainly tonight is going to be another one of those programs in which we continue to unravel this mystery. See, it was just this week in Virginia that we got another report of uh, lights, these lights particularly at a triangle formation, which is a very, very typical Occurrence. This one happened January 2nd, so just two nights ago at 6.01 p.m. around Roanoke, Virginia. This one was a videotaped, actually, which I think was probably more uh, digital than any sort of tape involved. Although, if somebody's still out there shooting things with these VHS cameras, I want to hear from them. But there was this hovering orb. It supposedly had four orange lights, and I'm quoting the report from MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. 
The witness stating that the lights definitely were not on a helicopter or plane. There was no craft associated with it. The report was filed the next day, along with video which shows a hovering object with those mentioned four orange lights. Three of those on the left side, possibly one out front, a fourth off to the right. Uh, That could be, uh, if there is a craft there, perhaps uh, the back, some might say. Uh, The light situated in a design that is typical of those triangle-shaped objects we have heard over the decades. A second video shows the object is a single point of light moving away at a a distance. The witness saying that the, quote, the object just kind of hovered and then disappeared. That was one recent case uh, that happened within the past week, but there are many others that go along with them. It was two weeks ago in Vegas that we reported on some lights above the Las Vegas Strip just before Christmas, and we'll actually have more in the news coming up uh, on that in just over 20 minutes on the program. So uh, update on the Las Vegas UFO sightings, more like lights. Because uh, sometimes you don't necessarily see craft, but you do in some cases see these lights forming some sort of pattern, as we heard in that case from Virginia. We also uh, have reported on the cases in Wisconsin that happened in December that were witnessed not just by one or two people, but in some of these cases, dozens or more. And in many cases, these balls of lights are associated with seemingly paranormal events. So we know with lights and UFOs and reports of aliens go stories of abductions. We know that there are orbs associated with Bigfoot sightings, with UFO sightings. And we could probably throw a a variety of events under that umbrella of seemingly Paranormal, or as we put on the program, para-abnormal for a reason. Far more things are abnormal than are paranormal. But it does seem, at least to me, the more that I have studied this, the more books I have opened, the more clicks I have clicked, the more links I have clicked, that there is some sort of gray area. A gray area that could potentially explain sightings of orbs, anomalous light forms, UFOs, cryptids, the whole nine yards. So who else to talk about it? Dr. Simeon Hine, who has a Ph.D. in sociology with an emphasis on how humans interact with technology. He teaches resonant viewing, a type of intuitive training that taps into our creative unconscious intelligence. He also studies crop circles and takes people on crop circle tours. And his most recent book is Dark Matter Monsters, Cryptids, Ball Lightning, and the Science of Secret Light Forms. Dr. Hyde, welcome to the program. Honor to have you here. Yeah, it's uh, it's my connection with you just dropped all of a sudden. It's like like we got talking about this weird, spooky stuff. We did, and then it happened, just like it happens out in the field around cryptids and crop circles and cold fusion experiments and we had strange electronics failure yeah yeah it looks like it's on my side anyway who knows i was listening to you and all of a sudden the whole thing just dropped so well was i uh was i full I of, was i full of bunk or was i at least saying something no, no. coherently well partly you were partly full of, i'm kidding it sounds you know <laughs> this is the truth is uh 
what is the connection between these phenomena? You know, uh, it's a issue that has to be addressed. Uh, it's it's too long that we've looked at these phenomena as being sort of separate phenomena. Um, but there's too many similarities between them to just uh, assume that they're separate phenomena with similar symptoms. I think the scientific way to look about it, to look at it is to say uh, these phenomena are sharing some fundamental principles, scientific principles that we'll come to understand. If we don't understand it now, we, we eventually will, that underlie the orbs, the cryptids, UFO phenomena, and one of it is electronics failure. That is common to almost every single aspect of what we call paranormal phenomena, including remote viewing. Well, good thing we can still do things the old-fashioned way via the telephone. Yes, yes. It's a wonderful thing. Um, Dr. Hine, introduce us to this topic. Um, I guess this would be anything that falls under the brand of, of the anomalous. Uh, we're talking about beings of light, right. as I mentioned. Yeah. We're also talking about beasts or monsters, I think, as you refer to them. Uh, sometimes craft. So uh, yep. how do you describe yep. this all? Well, I look at it from what's called the phenomenological point of view, which is what are we actually observing, right? What's the phenomena? And that's the only way we can really approach a subject like this because it doesn't have the repeatability that science likes to see in other sorts of scientific topics where you can repeat the experiment over and over again like you can in quantum mechanics and see what the measurements are and adjust your theories that way. We don't have the repeatability because a lot of this has to do with people's experience. Uh, and that doesn't mean it's not real. They're just having experiences which are uh, have a high degree of variance, which means there's just a lot of variation. In these phenomena, you could have cryptids show up in one area, then they, they don't show up again. Uh, just look, uh, look at the show Skinwalker Ranch, right? Uh, the current group that's out at Skinwalker Ranch under the auspices of Brandon Fugel has said recently that they haven't experienced the same phenomena that were experienced by the researchers uh, that were there under uh, Robert Bigelow. And I've talked to some of the previous researchers who were out there working when Bigelow owned the property. They did see cryptids, portals open, things like that, but the current crew that's working there now see different sort of phenomena. And that is really the mystery of all this is there is a great degree of variation depending on who is there, who is experiencing it, and they get sort of different phenomena, which means it has something to do with us in some way. And the challenge of that is the type of science we've grown up with that we've all been educated about in school, you know, elementary school, has a certain idea in mind of what it's looking at, a certain kind of a model. And one of that is this idea that it, you know, the, in, the information can, the data, the information can be empirically verified. You know, multiple people could verify it. You know, peer review and so forth, like we see in journals. We could all take a look at the data and discuss it openly. And then the second aspect of that, as I just said, is the degree of repeatability. We don't get that in all these phenomena, but I think that's a 
shortcoming of the current scientific method is we've chosen to discard people's testimony in favor of a more narrow interpretation of science. And as a result of that, we don't have a very good grasp of what these paranormal phenomena are that we call paranormal. But just like Lou Elizondo has pointed out over the past couple of years since he's been very vocal about the need for UFO disclosure, the word para just means next to, right? Paramedic, that's the examples he used, you know, for someone that worked in some of the UFO programs within the Pentagon. So next to normal. Right. Uh, Not abnormal, the title of your show, but just next to normal. Para means next to. Uh, Parachute, paramedic, um, paragraph. (laughs) So it just means next to. So to answer your question, what we're talking about are phenomena that are next to us that we don't always perceive on a regular basis that may have a degree of invisibility or stealthiness to them that just don't interact with us all the time or may not interact with us in a way that we're used to interacting with each other and our physical environment, right? But I think it's a big mistake to say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't exist. It's delusional witnesses, you know, evidence of uh, some sort of, personality disorder, you know, this this, typical range of disorders that we hear about in psychology and so forth. I think it's just a travesty that we haven't taken these phenomena more seriously. So many people experience them. You talk about it on your show. You know, thousands and thousands of people have been experiencing all of these types of phenomena for decades and decades and hundreds of centuries. All of it. I think it's high time that society deals with these topics in a mature way and says, look, we may not completely understand how these phenomena seem to pop up here and there and then disappear and so forth, but are you willing just to ignore everyone's experience, so many people that you know, friends and families and neighbors who have been stigmatized by their experience with these out-of-the-ordinary phenomena. I mean, and that's what the Navy said a couple of years ago, is they weren't going to penalize pilots, their pilots, for coming forward with these stories. You know, in the government's effort to find out what's going on, which we're in the middle of right now. I mean, the our representatives in, in the House and Senate say they want to know if these, just as an example, UFO phenomena, UAP, whatever you want to call it, are they in our airspace? Are they, you know, causing any danger to military exercise? And they've, you know, they've asked uh, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, to supply a report. Uh, this current report is over two months late, and that is a yeah. perfect example of what we're talking about. We can't deal with this. And I say it's high time we deal with it, Jeremy. It's high time. What's your the thoughts? Uh, needs to end. We Dr. Need to Hine, from anyone who's experienced it. What's your thoughts that the reason we haven't seen that report is maybe they don't understand what it says. So how can they possibly make sense of it to us? I think I was just thinking about this exactly about an hour or two ago. It just it popped into my mind this very notion that you just said. 
they may have come across something that they don't know how to deal with, right? A phenomena or proof of something, right? They've been digging in the archives and they came up with something that they're uncomfortable talking about. It could be some crash somewhere. It could be physical evidence. It could be evidence of other life forms. And I got this feeling, and I could be wrong about this, but I got this feeling the reason it's late is they don't know what they're dealing with. And governments, I think one thing we can all agree on, governments do not like to talk about anything that they don't feel like they can have a handle on, right? It doesn't make them look good, the people who work in those positions. They always want to look good in front of the taxpayers. And if they come forward and say, we don't know what's going on, we're not in control of the airspace. And, oh, by the way, uh, people are getting abducted every night out of their homes. We can't do anything about it. How about that? They're never going to say that. So I think they prefer to stall. And I think that's, personally, I think that's what's going on. Yeah, absolutely, because they don't want to look like they have egg on their face more than they already do by coming up with some explanation that, uh, you know, those of us in the know or seemingly in the know um, are going to discount based on what the evidence actually tells us, which is that it is unexplainable. That's what makes it UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or UFO, Unidentified Flying Object. And and really, the the paranormal really is an unexplainable unknown as well right it's all it's all the unknown and it's just a whole new universe multiverse for us to discover and we're going through this transition right now with many of these topics i mean you could bigfoot cryptid uh ufos i mean from the point of view of our willingness to engage the topic and to look at the information i feel like society our society at least here in the united states is going through a major transition right now which is from a period of silence and denial and ridicule to all of a sudden realizing, oh, my God, it's all true. And if it is all true, then what does that say about who we've been for the past 70 years saying it was ice crystals and weather balloons and flocks of geese and misidentifications of Venus? Or in the case of cryptids, uh, you saw a bear. That's pretty much what they saw a bear. Uh, yeah, exactly. Let's say that's all just been BS and just Even our though, government stalled. Yeah, that argument has, has been stalled. totally discounted, especially when you compare the foot morphology, number one. Uh, we can start there, but there's so many other aspects that, that don't account to uh, uh, a comparison to a human. Yeah, it, it's ludicrous to use these kind of substitute explanations, these sort of common sense explanations. I know it's very tempting to want to go back to these ordinary explanations, especially for bureaucrats and people that work in bureaucratic type organizations, because they don't, you know, bureaucrats never want to rock the boat, right? They just want to keep everything the same. But I mean, we don't make progress if we keep everything the same. And it's been the same for a long time. We're talking at least since World War II. We haven't engaged these topics, any of it. And uh, speaking as a sociologist, I mean, I look at this as a type of denial and a type of refusal to deal with reality at the same ways that we didn't want to at one point deal with civil rights and all the other social issues that we've dealt with over the course of the history of our country, right? Which is extending the franchise to all, all types of people, regardless of ethnicity. I think it's the same thing, Jeremy. I, I, I know that may sound as a stretch, but 
from a sociological point of view, this is the same sort of issue. Is you've got the evidence that's there. It doesn't fit hermetically in a box like typical chemistry experiments or something like that. But you have enough witnesses and you have enough qualified witnesses, high caliber witnesses, as I think our congressional representatives are finding out in their closed hearings about the UAP issue, which some of the pilots have said they've been in front of these closed hearings, which we haven't been privy to yet. So, I mean, I think they're dealing with it, but we're switching from a mode where we just, oh, you know, it's this. This, everyone go home. It's it, just deny it. You know from your show, and everyone listening knows how many people have encountered these phenomena one way or another, and there's nowhere to go to talk about it. We're going to hold that thought with Dr. Simeon Hine, author of Dark Matter Monsters, Cryptids, Ball Lightning, and the Science of Secret Life Forms. DarkMatterMonsters.com and NewCrystalMind.com, his websites. We will continue. Gray Matter. You know, it's that, uh, it's everything kind of right there in the middle on Into the Paranormal tonight. I'm Jeremy Scott. Paranormal News. UFO or a natural weather phenomenon. You be the judge. Dozens of witnesses near Las Vegas Strip reported seeing red and white lights shining through the clouds in the night sky on the morning of December 23rd. Brett Feinstein posted a video narration on Twitter. There's a UFO above us. The lights do not appear to move. The National Weather Service says the most likely probability is an atmospheric phenomenon known as light pillars. Tiny crystals of ice hanging in the atmosphere. When light hits the ice, it reflects off the crystals. The National UFO Reporting Center got nearly two dozen UFO reports from Las Vegas in 2022. I'm George Henry, Paranormal News. like nothing you've ever encountered before. Encountered before. Encountered before. The mysterious type of particle known as dark matter, an invisible force which binds these galaxies together. It's the middle ground between light and shadow. Even Einstein said energy never goes away. It just changes form. And so that's what I think they do. They change form and sometimes we can register that. shining glowing this orb this imagery just hovering that is so creepy it's just hovering there huge orb as he describes to us comes out of the sky forms eventually a triangular crap the ufo is projecting multicolored strobe lights and this orb ball of light ufo showed up into the Paranormal with Jeremy Scott. Somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. Right there in, right in the middle of gray matter tonight. My guest, Dr. Simeon Hine. And a fascinating conversation that we've been having, having so far. Trying to explain, but seemingly maybe cannot be explained. Perhaps that is why we are still waiting as the calendar rolls into 2023 for this supposed disclosure report that was expected at the end of October or November 
Here we are. It's January. So, uh, Dr. Hyde, back to you. Um, you. You were talking about witnesses and, uh, you know, they don't know who to talk to. And, and that's partially because nobody can really explain this. So I'm, I'm fascinated to kind of unravel your theory uh, because you involve dark matter into the conversation, which is something that has yet to be identified, but appears to occupy about a third of the universe. So what's the argument for dark matter and uh, a possible connection to this uh, seemingly paranormal phenomena? Well, in order to answer that question, I'm just going to read a paragraph or two from a very new book called uh, what, what is Dark Matter by Peter Fisher, published out of Princeton. Okay, just, perfect. Just listen to this and see if this sounds familiar to you and the audience or not. This I just... I'll just read a little bit from the first page. The dark matter problem. Suppose you became aware that there were specters, invisible beings living in your house. You cannot see, hear, or feel them, but you know they are there because they move things around your home. Open and close doors and change the room temperature. You begin to notice patterns for these changes as if they are governed by rules. After a time, knowing their patterns, you begin to learn the rules. You learn how to predict what changes they will make, when they will make them. As more time passes, you come to suspect that there are many specters, maybe 10 for each person in your house. The specters have always dominated your environment, and you and your family have always responded to them without knowing it. Now, that could be an introduction to a book about ghosts, right? But it isn't. It's a book about darkness. And that's the thing. We've always been surrounded by material realities that we don't understand very well. We can't even measure directly, including dark matter. But that doesn't mean we, like, run away in fear and we say, oh, that's paranormal, deny it. And any witness who says, oh, I encountered dark matter, you know, we say, oh, you need to see a psychiatrist. No, this is what physicists do. They look astrophysicists, cosmologists, they're looking at this very subtle type of matter, which is really tiny and extremely weak, does not interact with us directly, but it's there. And it's so much of it that it outnumbers us by 10 to 1, all the matter we can see out in the universe. And that's how dark matter relates back to the paranormal, because there are already types of matter out there that are extremely spooky and strange. And we now know that dark matter interacts with our matter here on Earth. Some components of it do, at least. They increase biological, chemical reactions. They power reactions. They create their own types of uh, interactions and what's called beta decay in, in nuclear physics. They're bosonic. And what that means is they encourage things to join together and pair up and interact. So dark matter is a catalyst, at least some of it. And the part of it I'm talking about are what's called the relic neutrinos uh, that predate the cosmic background radiation. It's the original radiation from the Big Bang. Because this type of dark matter, it's just a small component of dark matter, but still more than all the material we can vis visually see in the universe. These relic neutrinos, they're slow, they're kind of cold, but they clump together. They flux and flow around other objects. They're gravitationally interactive. 
And there's enough of them around because they don't interact very much. There's still a lot around in the universe. And from what I read, they're interacting with, you know, like your body, like 10 million of these tiny, tiny relic neutrinos every second. So what we've learned about it is that dark matter, and I still think that's the best explanation for whatever this is, it was speculated about 100 years ago by various cosmologists as a force holding the galaxies together. At the time, they only knew about the Milky Way. There wasn't enough physical matter to explain how the Milky Way could hold together and why it rotates the way it does. But dark matter is one way to think about an invisible universe. And in my, you know, Dr. Hines' mind, in my mind, that invisible universe is more than just, you know, a counterpart to our physical matter. I, I believe it, in, it encompasses other types of life forms that are equally dark and hard to study. But just like dark matter, they interact with us, they pop out. Sometimes we can see them, then they go back to their dark matter world. And that's how I think it relates in a very kind of simplistic way. So I've used a, a, the definition of portals to explain, you know, Bigfoot activity. Right. This sounds like there is some interaction among these creatures, Bigfoot and others, which then I don't know if, if that is responsible for, for giving them uh, some of these abilities that they seemingly have, like, uh, you know, cloaking themselves, but also right. uh, seemingly to be able to to generate uh, these balls of light, which would indicate that maybe yeah. there's some sort of electrical charge at play. Right. And I think that's a very uh, good assumption here. Um, the, the, the aspects of Bigfoot that make it, way beyond any sort of hidden, you know, relic primate, Gigantopithecus or anything like that. The the evidence for that goes back hundreds of years. And I mean, someone like David Polides has done a very good job with his discussion of Bigfoot on his YouTube channel in his books, showing the newspaper articles throughout the United States that were talking about wild men, hairy men, everything that we think of as Bigfoot today have been seen in the United States far before any Westerners got here by the Native American tribes. And they all had their own names for Bigfoot, but they all described it as a type of human. Nobody ever, you know, none of the Native tribes described it as a primate. And people's experience with Bigfoot is that it's very human-like, but it has these, uh, what the newspapers have referred to in the past, going back 100 years or more, as supernatural abilities. Even uh, the Fred Beck Ape Canyon incident, he, they talked about these kind of weird supernatural experiences around the so-called apes, as they called them, that attack their mining cabin and so forth. There's always been this supernatural aspect to Bigfoot. The way I look at it is, it's not so much like, you know, it's just weird and demonic or something like that because we don't understand it. It's a Bigfoot is involved with a type of matter that you just mentioned, orbs, balls of light, and so forth, which to me indicates that they're interacting and creating another type of matter that is more along the lines of ball lightning, what is called coherent matter. It has macroscopic quantum effects. 
they're interacting with a level of macroscopic quantum effects, just like Ron Moorhead has talked about in his books and his research. The uh, Ron, who recorded the Sierra sounds that many people are familiar with up in the high Sierras in California over the years. Uh, even his experience, they, just, they don't fit in the typical experience we have of ordinary physical living things like other animals that we're used to. They can cloak, they can disappear, they can move at really high speeds, they seemingly can float over a trail, they seem like they're gliding. People who have been carried by them, picked up in their sleeping bags while they're camping, have remarked that for the brief time they were being carried away, there was no up and down movement. It was more like gliding. And so a lot of these characteristics, if you look at what people say they're experiencing, is consistent with another type of matter, coherent matter. Um, and we can talk about what that is in a moment. And it gives the Bigfoot creatures or life forms or humans, wh whatever they turn out to be, you know, abilities that we normally as humans don't have. That, that's what I would say about it. Very, very interesting way of looking at it. I appreciate that. Uh, so as far as... Uh gravitational uh, effects, would that maybe yeah. explain why some people, particularly in the missing persons cases, mm -hmm. could be moved many miles away through gravity? Mm -hmm. Because in many cases, you know, we know about stop time, but also how do they get from here to there, particularly a baby, you know, who can only crawl. Do you think that right. gravity comes into play here? I do. I do. I think it's a very good observation on your part, and I think that's exactly, you know, this is what I wrote about in Dark Matter Monsters, is some of the symptoms of being around Bigfoot, which is this anti-gravity effect. The Russian researcher Igor Burtsev, uh, when I asked him about this uh, on his Facebook page, and I got to meet him at a conference in Bailey, and he's been researching Bigfoot longer than anyone else I'm aware of, about half a century. Uh, and his conclusion is they're a paranormal type of human. That, that's his conclusion. Not a, not just relic human, but, but really some other type of human with special abilities. And he told me about experiences they had in Russia where gravity seemed to be inverted when the Bigfoot were around. You know, things were floating around in their van, stuff was moving around. He said not just light objects like coins, like larger objects. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that's exactly what people report around ball lightning too, and orbs, is this anti-gravity effect. I think that the Bigfoot have harnessed this type of energy, which is why they're able to produce balls of light or move into balls of light and so forth. I know to many people it would seem like science fiction, but this is what people report they're experiencing, is the Bigfoot creatures, when they're walking, you hear this time and again, people say it was more like they were gliding than walking, gliding above the forest trail or sliding, you know? kind of like doing a Michael Jackson moonwalk. Uh, that suggests an anti-gravity effect. And we know that coherent matter, we know this from looking at the patents of defense contractors like Lockheed Martin, that they claim that co creating coherent matter wave beams can create anti-gravitic effects. Uh, it's no surprise that the Air Force has 
authored two reports on ball lightning, which to me is, you know, related to orbs in some way. Ball lightning being this type of, you know, glowing sphere that people often see sometimes around thunderstorms, but often not sometimes uh, seen around planes and so forth high up there, but it moves into people's homes. And people report these anti-gravitic effects around ball lightning too. I think it's the same effect. I'm just taking this kind of scientific angle on it, which is not to multiply, you know, natural laws more than you need to. I think that Bigfoot and balls of light are a similar type of phenomena in some ways. And I know not every encounter with Bigfoot, so many people say it just was flesh and blood, and I totally understand that and believe them. But you still have maybe 20% of the cases, something around there, where you report really, the people report really strange effects going on. But this is what people report around orbs, too. You remember Ted Phillips, the ground landing trace case researcher that works with Alan Hynek? Uh, he, he studied up, uh, several thousand trace landing cases in the U.S. before he passed away a number of years ago, not too long ago. He was researching the so-called Marley Woods Ranch in southern Missouri. And if you look, I mean, I've been listening to Ted Phillips' lectures and he says that when these orbs would pass over things like picnic tables, the picnic tables would sort of pick up off the ground. It's the same effect. It's a type of electrogravitic collapse. And it's the same effect that is seen in cold fusion, low energy nuclear reaction. It's a type of clustered matter that it's so compressed that it transforms itself into a type of matter where the ordinary laws of space-time don't. Uh, work the same way they do in our ordinary reality that we're all used to most of the time. It's a type of compressed matter that goes way beyond the sort of coulombic repulsion that we were all taught about. You know how like charges repel? We were all taught this. Well, they do. Uh, at larger distances, they repel. But if you keep pushing them together, eventually you get electrons forming clusters. They form pairs. I mentioned bosonic activity. They form bosons. They're normally are not bosonic. They form things like Bose-Einstein condensate. The physics community accepts this. Bose-Einstein condensate, uh, you know, discovered here in Boulder in 1995 at NIST laboratories at the UC campus, predicted by Einstein and Bose uh, 70 years before, but not seen until 1995. That was took place at very low temperatures. But the big discovery. Uh, is that, you know, and you see this in defense contract, pat, defense contractor patents and others, is that you can get this at room temperature. You can create cloaking. You can create invisibility. You can create teleportation. You can create anti-gravitic effects. And as I mentioned, the Air Force authored two studies on ball lightning. And uh, the most recent one, authored by Eric Davis, who we're all familiar with, you know, from the Wilson Davis memo, that Eric Davis, he did a ball lightning study for the Air Force. Well, you look at that ball lightning study, half of it is redacted. We're just talking ball lightning. Why would you redact ball lightning if it was just ordinary? I, if I were the Air Force and I was authoring a study on ball lightning and I said, okay, I'm redacting half of it, page 32 to 60 to be exact, it's because of the anti-gravitic effect. It has weapons applications and technological. Yeah, so you're exactly right. There's an anti-gravitic effect. Now, to me, the fact that cryptids exhibit these effects, and it seems to hint at it with some of these missing persons cases where the kid shows up five miles away. And, ten, and, and Pilates, I think, has made a very good point is, you know, a toddler cannot just walk that distance. They're not going to walk five miles. It's just it's 
it's not something ordinary. Uh, they could be, you know, being floated away or encountering this phenomena, getting teleported away, something like that. I mean, because this teleportation has been no. This, I'll just say one more thing before I let you you talk a little more about it. The anti-gravitic teleportation aspects of ball lightning, just ball lightning, in scientific studies by researchers like uh, Walter Brand from uh, Germany in the 1920s, they mention that ball lightning could move animals and people to new locations. You look at it right in their ball lightning studies. This goes back a couple hundred years. People have studied ball lightning for several hundred years in Europe and other places, Russia. And uh, they talk about transporting animals and people from orbs. So is it science? Is it paranormal? Is it the same thing? But to me, these are interrelated. The fact that it's related to Bigfoot and other cryptids just, it to me just shows we're dealing with the same phenomena here. Another state of matter that's more coherent than what we typically encounter, where it, it just breaks the rules of ordinary reality. Well, I, what you said earlier about the paranormal being next to normal brings in, you know, a whole nother uh, picture of, of being, you know, this alternate dimension in which these creatures, these beings, uh, these life forms right. are right mm -hmm. next to us, but there's just we don't see them and it could be because they right. move so quickly maybe they are carried mm -hmm. uh by orbs which then explains why uh, a bigfoot's here one moment and gone the next moment or as we've alluded to why a baby goes five miles and there's no way it could have crawled there right i i think you're on the right track there jeremy because uh this is what witnesses report law enforcement officers and others report seeing around Bigfoot, Dogman, and the other cryptids, is they seem to be, have a predator-like effect from the movie, right? We've all heard this. It's a sort of shimmering-like effect where you see the outline of a body. Well, that's what people say. They, you do your, do your research, you'll see this is what people report around Bigfoot. They may not talk about it a lot because no one wants to be accused of being like mentally ill or something, right? But that's what people say they see. They see the Bigfoot solid and then into a shimmering form or vice versa. Uh, in the case of Dogman, people have said that it moves so quickly between trees it looks like a cartoon character from Bugs Bunny. You know, like the Roadrunner or something. Mm -mm, mm -hmm. So, one of those, Very yeah, interesting. One of those cartoons we, yeah, just too fast, for, like a blur. Uh, and, and we can all we can all just mentally uh, uh, picture that, or, or I guess hear that sound yeah. as well that goes along with that Roadrunner. Uh. Yeah, right, exactly. But this is what people say they see now. If it was just one or two people, I'd say really. I mean, is it really? I, I'm, I'm skeptical too. I mean, I have a scientific training, but this is what people say over and over again. After a while, we just do accept that our science is lagging behind, way lagging behind people's experience, which isn't surprising. Science usually lags behind. I'm not putting it down, but I'm just saying it's behind the curve here. Uh, it's behind the curve because our bureaucratically funded science does not like to take risks anymore. But this is what I think is going on. I think it's another state of matter. It can become invisible. And I'm not trying to scare people, but they can be out there watching you and you won't see them. You'll oh. just know from the symptoms, the temperature changes, right? The sudden quiet, the crickets going quiet, the insects the feeling you're getting in your gut that you're being watched, it's because you are. 
I don't think we have quite a lot of time to get into this one, but let's think about it over the break. If orbs have the uh, ability to to move people and, and animals and whatever uh, from location to location, uh, the question is, how are these orbs generated? We'll get to that with Dr. Simeon Hine when we continue Gray Matter tonight on Into the Parabnormal. He's the author of Dark Matter Monsters, Cryptids, Ball Lightning, and the Science of Secret Life Forms. Another hour to go. Don't go anywhere. There's another hour of Into the Parabnormal coming up. Hold on to your seats. Outside the box, into the paranormal. Uh, we're digging into gray matter tonight. My guest is Dr. Simeon Hine, author of Dark Matter Monsters. You can pick it up at darkmattermonsters.com, his other website, newcrystalmind.com. Just an absolutely fascinating conversation tonight. If you'd like to join in, it's 503 506 0396. From inside or outside North America, that's 503-506-0396 or on Skype at ITP51. Uh, We were talking right before the break about these orbs and about them generating this electricity seemingly to move people and uh, and animals and, and objects and seemingly anything. So the question is, how do they generate this? Uh, do the beings themselves generate it? Do they do so by touch? Are these things that uh, are generated around them? What's your thoughts on that, Dr. Hine? All right, right. So it's a good question. I think if we go back to the work of Nikola Tesla, it's a little easier to understand. Uh, there are those quotes. You know, Tesla was working with energy, creating resonance. Uh, long-distance communication, generating energy. And he used these things called uh, pulse discharge generators, really big equipment that would take up the you know the size of the whole room. And he blew out his share of transformers. Uh, I think he did it once in New York, and another time there was a huge blackout. I think it was in, it was in Colorado Springs from his work. Well, Tesla realized that resonance is a type of, scientific principle in and of itself, frequency. And there's that famous quote from him where he said, everything can be understood in terms of sound, frequency, and vibration. Resonance is the principle that organizes matter in a coherent way. And so uh, this 
sort of fifth state of matter that we've been talking about throughout the show. You know, the ordinary states of matter being solid, liquid, gas, which we're all familiar with, right? And then plasmas, which are ionized gases like uh, fluorescent bulbs, lightning, and the aurora borealis are considered to be plasmas, right? Charged gases. That's the most abundant type of matter in the universe is plasmas. But one step past plasmas are what some people have called plasmoids, which are self-organized plasmas that organize themselves into toroids or spheres, which we see in our reality as orbs, ball lightning, and different types of luminous phenomena that seem seemingly are self-propelled, anti-gravitic, and so forth. When you get to this, this fifth stage of matter, uh, and it can be created in a variety of ways. I mean, there's enough energy in a, a, a thunderstorm and lightning bolts to create this coherent uh, matter in the form of ball lightning. But it can be created in the lab like Tesla did. And he, he wasn't the only one to do it. He's just someone that, well, we're more familiar with than some of the other inventors. But there were people after Tesla uh, who recreated the same effects. There was Winston Bostick who worked uh, at one of the uh, institutes in New Jersey and later in California, who argued that these plasmas and plasmoids, as he called them, were exactly the same organization as galaxies, these spiral barred galaxies that we're all familiar with. He could create them in a test tube. And there was even a New York Times article about him. And he was funded, not surprisingly, by the U.S. Air Force. He was looking into ways of creating, turning fusion, you know, fusion bombs into something peaceful and productive, a sort of fusion-powered world, if you will. And so he rediscovered some of these principles that Tesla was working with. And then others have come along since Winston Bostick, like Kenneth Shoulders, uh, who was a graduate of MIT, worked for the NSA at Stanford Research Institute, creating things that were ahead of their time back then in the 60s that we now think of as very common, things like drones and remote control, uh, something also that Tesla was interested in. But uh, Shoulders uh, created all these microelectronic masking techniques for circuit boards that allowed computers to be developed. Uh, he's the one credited with that, which is why he was working for the NSA and classified programs. He was the one who rediscovered these charge clusters that Bostic had worked with and Tesla, but at a micro scale, not in a huge equipment, these huge, you know, rings and toroidal shapes and discharge tubes that we see in Tesla's lab. Shoulders was able to do it uh, in a micro scale like Winston Bostic and came to the conclusion that this was another state of matter and that it's a, an ubiquitous state of matter. He, uh, Shoulder said every time you walk across a carpet and create a static charge when you touch your doorknob, anytime you see static flashes when you run your hands across the sheets in your bed or something like that, you are creating what he eventually called exotic vacuum objects, EVOs. These are charge clusters that have this quantum coherent uh, characteristic to them where they form toroids and orbs. And uh, he said they were another state of matter. If you look at his writings, Jeremy, it's absolutely fascinating. 
not only were they another state of matter, he compared them to dark matter like a parallel reality because these Evos were not only luminous, they had a dark mode where they could become invisible. And he showed examples where right in the same shot, you would see it move across the screen going from visible to invisible. And he compared them to uh, uh, microscopic black holes that were a type of dark matter or interacting with dark matter. And we now know that seems to be the case. They seem to interact with dark matter, like we mentioned earlier in the show, with these relic neutrinos. And people that uh, developed this idea was a researcher in Japan, Takayaki Matsumoto, who called them micro ball lightning, uh, kind of a, a gravitational collapse, which he said was not only pulling in dark matter, but emitting dark matter too. And that means we would, you and I would be emitting dark matter. We can't see it, it's dark, but we're emitting it. So he, he uh, Matsumoto really figured out that ball lightning is a type of compression, just like shoulders realized, where the electron clusters, for example, would be so compressed, they lose any individual characteristics like we see in the rooms we're in right now where things have different colors and shapes. They just all, bec they get to the same frequency and the same temperature, monochromatic as we would call it. Like the Bose-Einstein condensate that NIST discovered, people won Nobel Prizes for that, but that was at my, you know, minus, minus temperatures near zero degrees Kelvin, you know, minus 300 degrees. Matsumoto realized you could reproduce it at room temperature and that literally ball lightning was the exact same thing as cold fusion. They were the same thing, uh, just with different names. Under a controlled experiment, ball lightning would become what we call cold fusion. And it had to do with these charge clusters. And then one more person I have to mention here is Alexander Parkhamov in Russia, who uh, worked on classified Soviet programs in aeronautics, did a lot of work looking at these relic neutrinos, developing his own equipment to funnel and, and focus these relic neutrinos that come into the Earth's atmosphere continually. And what he was able to show is that they could enhance cold fusion reactors. He was able to get his cold fusion reactor, now we call it low energy nuclear reaction. He was able to keep it going for 225 days and he was able to focus these relic neutrinos from the cosmos onto the cold fusion reaction to show that it increased it. As we said before, it's bosonic. These relic neutrinos, they add energy into processes that are already going. So these uh, Lenner cold fusion reactions, we've all heard about this, you know, Fleischmann and Pons, University of Utah in 1989. This is how it all ties together and how it ties back to Bigfoot encrypteds and UFOs and so forth, is these orbs, these balls of light are seen around all these phenomena, including cold fusion Lenner reactions too. They're just a controlled form of it. They're you know, absorbing energy from the, these relic neutrinos to enhance the reaction. They're emitting, as Matsumoto pointed out to us, uh, they're emitting dark matter too, which we call cold neutrinos. They're, they're relatively slow and cold. And it's the same frequency as the relic neutrinos. We're actually emitting that, which I think is what PK psychokinesis could be. People, Some people have the ability to focus that energy. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of how it all ties together. And the real kicker here, which again, you'll think cryptids and UFOs when I mention this, is that the Soviet and Russian researchers found that they could shut off their reactors and these orbs would stay glowing 
in the laboratory for first, in some cases, a couple days, and in some cases, a couple months. You would come back. The electricity had been shut off. Sometimes you remove the equipment, and you're still going to see an orb over the tabletop if it hasn't moved away, like a persistent glowing orb. Now, does that sound like what people see around these haunted sites, ghost sites, cryptids, orbs seen around UFOs? I mean, I'm not saying they're literally all the same phenomena. I'm just saying we're dealing with some of the same fundamental principles here. And that's how it all fits together. It's a type of coherency. Tesla worked with it, but I've just mentioned other researchers that are still alive that are still working with that, but under a more kind of controlled micro laboratory scale. I'm wondering on your thoughts about whether or not gravity could be used to explain some sort of alien abductions, because, you know, we often hear about people being floated. uh, And I guess we could even throw sleep paralysis into that as well. No, that is a very good point, Jeremy. And I mean, you talk, you look at these cases, people are floated through windows. Uh, Sometimes some of their clothing gets stuck in the windows, but their bodies move through with no problem. You often hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You often hear about people being returned to their beds, but their clothing's on backwards or they're put back, you know, the clothing's in the wrong way. Um, Things like that. Yeah. This sort of way they're taken away. Well, ball lightning passes through windows too. No problem at all. And the interesting thing about ball lightning, which makes it seem relevant, to me seems relevant to these abductions, is that people who've been around ball lightning that may come through their train window or their plane report that the aluminum frame is molten, but it's cool to the touch. They can touch it and leave a fingerprint, but it's, it's not hot. In other words, it's melted, but not from heat, from sort of a quantum delocalization of the electrons. I mean, think about normally things stay in their place, which is why the objects around you right now look solid relatively speaking, because the, the electrons are localized. But if they delocalize, it's going to cause a melting effect. This has puzzled a lot of researchers uh, when you look at these materials in cold fusion Lenner experiments under a microscope. You see this, like these impact craters and this melting, but there was no high temperature there. It was all room temperature the whole time. So when you hear about people being floated through walls and windows, or to me it suggests, again, the same sort of type of matter where Things have been delocalized from a quantum point of view. You know, Jeremy, we always hear that quantum mechanics just describes the micro world, you know, like the subatomic world, you know, like wave, particle, duality, all that, the double slit experiment. Well, what these researchers are saying is that we're seeing it at the micro, macroscopic scale in terms of these cold fusion lender experiments and ball lightning and orbs, that these are all types of macroscopic quantum effects um, that you can reproduce. And there's very well-known physics principles that describe this. I'll just mention one, and people can look it up, and we can talk about it another time, the Aronoff-Bohm effect. The AB effect, you know, discovered by uh, Yakir Aronov working with David Bohm in the UK. He went to the UK from Israel because his, his thesis supervisors, I mean, wouldn't work with him on this. And he thought it was a good idea, which is basically you could use frequency to create a type of resonance where you would get a kind of spooky action at a distance, as Einstein called it, from a type of a resonant coherency. 
And it's called the Aranha foam effect because you can literally affect something at a distance without injecting energy, without projecting energy at a distance, purely from a point of view of having similar energetic potential, to put, put it kind of simply. And when these you know, particles have the same energetic potential frequencies, they communicate with each other and you can organize them just sort of like, uh, you know, flocks of birds, you know, murmuration, the way you see flocks of birds flying through the air, schools of fish in a very coherent kind of beautiful wave-like pattern. That's the kind of classical analogy to the Aronhoff foam effect is that you can create that in a quantum state. And uh, that is sort of the same idea behind these orbs and ball lightning is that the particles are sort of organized by frequency, even if, you know, they're not being forced together, they're resonating together in a coherent kind of harmonious way. And that's the idea of the Arano foam effect is you can have quantum effects that you won't see classically. You won't be able to measure anything with your electromagnetic meter or anything. There's nothing there physically. It's there in the quantum equations. And it's even, you know, it's kind of like a spooky effect. It's just like these phenomena we're talking about here, which mm-hmm. is why I think they're similar. It's a similar spooky effect. Even physicists say it's a spooky word effect, but it's real. It's been proven to be real. 20 years later, they proved it was real. The energy could be zero, but you're still going to have coherency, not from energetic coordination, from like a frequency coherency resonant coordination, right? Like Tesla's saying, vibration, frequency, sound. It's, it's all the same stuff. And that's how you create this coherent matter. So to go back to some of these larger questions you've been asking throughout the interview, I think there are life forms that are more evolved than we are on the planet that know how to do this with their minds. With their okay, and then do you think that they're bodies. using these orbs as a transport method? Something like that, yeah. I mean, I've talked to witnesses who said they've said they've seen Bigfoot emerge from orbs, right? Or go back into orbs. Uh, you got to wonder what's going on there. I mean, I guess the average person could say, that's just so weird, I can't believe that. But let's say we take them on their face value for what they say they're seeing. Many witnesses have said they've seen orbs instead of Bigfoot. They've gone out to find Bigfoot and they found orbs. I mean, even Les Stroud on Survivor Man Bigfoot had an episode where they saw these orbs, right? Outside of Portland. You can see it on YouTube. Wait, what happened outside Portland? I'm I'm right here in Portland. I'm fascinated now. Well, you know, Les Stroud, the Survivor you, you know, Les Stroud's Survivor oh, Man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he did all these. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think it was up in Alaska somewhere where he was, they were recording and he started hearing primate-like sounds, you know, howls and whooping sounds, trees shaking. And you, even on the camera, he showed it again. He's like startled, like what's going on out there, you know? He's showing you how to fish and how to stay dry and how to light a fire. And he hears these whooping sounds. So he ends up doing this series called Survivor Man Bigfoot. Over 10 episodes, he's put them all on YouTube. You can watch it for free. And it's fascinating. So the final bonus episode, they get invited. He gets invited. He brings a friend along uh, to Portland, outside Portland. A woman who said there was Bigfoot out there, and they go out there. And he said they saw, both he and his buddy saw orbs out on this property. And he had telepathic voices in his mind talking to him. He was so concerned about it, he visited a psychologist afterwards to make sure he wasn't cracking up. But Les isn't alone. How many people have we heard that have had this mind speak in their mind around Bigfoot? Many. 
it, it doesn't always sound exactly human. It's sort of your brain translating their communication. Some people say it sounds a little mechanized, but you know it's them talking to you because of what they're saying. They want it, they want you to come outside. They're telling you not to reach for your firearms, stuff like that. Uh, they're trying to tell you something. And, you know, you know it's happening. Even though you can't hear it, you're hearing the communication in your mind. And a lot of Bigfoot witnesses have uh, described this. Uh, this, again, this sort of effect is uh, an Iran bum effect. We know this because Lockheed Martin in their patent from 2013 talks about sort of uh, long-distance communication using the AB effect to create coherent matter waves. And, and you know, they talk about weaponization and so forth because that's what they do. But uh, they list all these effects. So when I hear people seeing this, saying it happens around Bigfoot and they've got the orbs, I mean, I could, I could be wrong, but it seems to me the same sort of stuff. It's, it's all fundamental physics principles that describe what Einstein called spooky action at a distance, which various researchers tell us from Russia, Japan, or the U.S. It's another state of matter that's organized by quantum principles that can do things, including create anti-gravity, that we just normally don't see in our classical reality. And, and unfortunately, Jeremy, I think most of this has been classified in the U.S. We don't have very many discussions about this. Mm -hmm. It took a lot of research on my part to learn about this. And when I really saw how much was coming from the Air Force, from defense contractors, you start, you start putting two and two together and you realize they feel they've got some pretty good secrets that have weapons applications that they don't want to share. That, that's what I think is going on, and this is why they don't really want to talk about it, because it reveals fundamental, I mean, we should be tied to fundamental physics principles and cryptids. So my argument here in Dark Matter Monsters, and what I really believe in my heart, is that there are other life forms around us. I know this is an ego, you know, shocker, but we're, they're more advanced than we are in many ways. So they're just more advanced, and they can tap into the Aranha Boom effect. They don't need a Lockheed Martin patent. They know how to do it from millions of years of evolution as some sort of hominid that was around a long time, and they just figured this out through evolution, the way many animals have figured out, you know, electric eels and octopus and cuttlefish that can be sort of blend into the background. Well, we have cryptids here on land that, and probably in the ocean that figured out how to do invisible stuff, teleport, anti-gravity. And that's what I really think is going on. And I think the fact that we can point to the science behind all of this in terms of orbs and ball lightning and Leonard, I just think it shows it's a real, it's not something we were taught in school, but I mean, Tesla and others have known about it and it's some, some creatures figured it out and they really don't want us to find them a lot of the time because humans aren't all that nice to other animals on the planet, are they? Or other creatures or, or even other humans. So why would they show up more than they do? given how hostile we are. And these orbs, real quickly, uh, uh, ball lightning are, are seen both uh, before and also after uh, Bigfoot sightings. Is that correct? From my readings about it, yes. I All right. We got to hold that thought with Dr. Simeon Hine. More on that uh, as we continue with uh, Gray Matter tonight on Into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott.
A comet discovered last March could be visible with the naked eye in the coming weeks. That's because it just might be bright enough as it passes the sun and earth. Comet C-2022E3 is currently passing through the inner solar system. It's expected to make its closest approach to the sun on January 12th and pass Earth three weeks later. Unless it fades, this would be the first comet to be seen by the naked eye since the days of the Neanderthals tens of thousands of years ago. Still then, it could be visible with binoculars or a telescope. NASA says sky watchers in the northern hemisphere will be able to find the comet in the morning sky throughout the month with the January 21st new moon perhaps one of the coolest opportunities. The comet will then become visible in the southern hemisphere in early February. I'm George Henry, Paranormal News. Each year, there are hundreds of Bigfoot sightings across the country. Some people devote their lives to the pursuit of the creature. We've all had experiences that have changed our lives. I mean, literally shook the foundations of what we believe in. A rock was through. He's still up here. Not just one, he says three different Bigfoot stared at him from the hill. I honestly can't even comprehend what I saw last night. I heard something right down here somewhere. You can ring into the paranormal internationally on Skype at ITP51 or call from North America and Canada at 503-506-0396. Dr. Simeon Hine is my guest tonight, author of Dark Matter Monsters, Cryptids, Ball Lightning, and the Science of Secret Life Forms. Uh, And uh, to get back to where we left our conversation, which was me asking the doctor about these orbs, the ball lightning, whether they happen before and also after uh, Bigfoot sightings. And uh, he was telling us that that is what he understands. So please continue, I guess, elaborate on that point. Right. I mean, according to people I've talked to, people I've heard give lectures, conferences, and what I've read, these orbs can show up any time around Bigfoot, which again, to me, suggests that we're dealing with another state of matter that sort of, I'm not saying that Bigfoot and orbs are the same thing. I'm just saying they're sort of operating on some sort of similar principles, you know, some sort of coherency of matter, some sort of quantum macroscopic coherency that allows a ball lightning is cool. Can often be cool to the touch, even though it's glowing, it's not like some burning ball of fire. It's, it's a very strange thing because it potentially has a lot of energy. And uh, the similarities, again, between Bigfoot and ball lightning is they both tend to short out cameras and batteries. I've talked to witnesses who've said that they've had their cameras and batteries stop working around Bigfoot, not to mention time slips around Bigfoot and orbs. You look in the literature around orbs and people report losing time. That's again why I think there's some similarity there now. Um, if you go back to this cold fusion Leonard research, they talk about changes in permittivity, which is one of these fundamental constants in physics, at least in open space, the permeability, uh, which is the degree that a material can resist uh, changes in electrical charge, the degree so they can hold their own uh, resistivity, kind of like wood compared to metal. You know, some are more insulators, some are more conductors. That's sort of a rough description of it. And there's permeability, which is the magnetic component of that. 
you look at the work of Ken Shoulders and he says, these EVOs, these electro, you know, charge clusters, exotic vacuum objects, whatever you want to call them, ectons, some, some people call them that, uh, explosive electrons, whatever you want to call them, they change the permittivity of the space that they're in. When you change permittivity, you're literally changing the speed of light. It's really a giant concept to think about, but it's associated with UFOs too, because Hal Putoff, when he gave us a public lecture in Las Vegas at one of the science conferences in 2018, talked about these UFO materials that he said he was familiar with from his work in these UFO programs within the government that he had never talked about publicly. I had never heard him talk about this. I thought he was associated with, you know, I associated him with the remote viewing program, but he said he had worked in these UFO programs since for decades. And these, these UFO materials that the craft are built out of change the permittivity of the space that they're in, which, which is why UFOs often have this blue shift to them, this blue hue, is because the speed of light is different around those materials versus our ordinary reality, and they're operating in a slightly different space-time. Well, uh, charge clusters have a lower permittivity, which means faster speed of light. And to me, this could be one reason why people have this sort of time loss around orbs, around Bigfoot, and around paranormal phenomena because the permittivity of the space has been changed. And your brain and your mind probably just can't deal with the, a kind of like a time shift like that where you're in a different, where the speed of light has changed fundamentally. I mean, it's, it's a pretty uh, fundamental aspect of reality is the speed of light. We're all taught that speed of light is constant. But it isn't if you change the permittivity of the materials you're around. Apparently, UFOs do that, but I think these balls of light, according to shoulders, these orbs, uh, do the same sort of thing. And again, people experience this type of time loss around Bigfoot. Is it deliberate? I know some people argue that it's a type of infrasound that is like they feel like they have a brain fog for a day or more after being around Bigfoot. You've heard of this? That brain fog that people have. Uh, it could be infrasound I'm, I'm not ruling that out but it also could just be a permittivity change from being around a creature that's operating in a slightly different space-time reference than we are if there's an energy yeah. field that that is creating these then i i can imagine that can right. be damaging to humans it can and that's a very good point Jeremy. just thanks for saying this these, these energies can cause illness in humans we know this from the work at Skinwalker Ranch, you know, the current group that's out there with Brandon Fugel. They've talked about this, of injuries out there. Uh, ball, ball lightning orbs and charge clusters, EVOs, can all emit uh, soft X-rays, different types of radiation, high EM fields, and can be biologically destructive. People, and I should say this, uh, just so we know, we're all clear on this. Researchers who've worked with cold fusion liner have gotten cancer from being around these EVOs too much. They pushed it too far and been around it too much, and it can be carcinogenic because it can emit uh, different types of radiation, even temporarily. But if you're experimenting with it day after day, it's affecting you know your DNA and causing cells to kind of go out of control. So there's a, I mean, Ken Shoulder side of cancer. Let's to say it right here. I mean, people associated with this have had injuries, and we've seen these injuries around ball lightning. Uh, James Lukatsky wrote about this in his book, In Walkers at the Pentagon. You know, with Keller and Knapp, he talks about these uh, types of weird 
diseases that people got from exposure to these orbs. So this isn't something that you should be chasing after. They can go right through your body. The, the thing about this state of matter, and this is talked about by anyone who's researched this, is it's such a dense state of matter compared to ordinary matter. It can pass through you like you're not there. And one group said it can absorb bullets. And that may be why that, that Ukrainian group was bought by the Department of Energy. There's a company called Proton 21. It was bought by the Department of Energy and eventually moved to Oak Ridge Laboratories in Tennessee, previously home to the Manhattan Project. If you think this is pseudoscience, okay, well, the Department of Energy is spending money on it and buying up these companies and they're going black. They're, they disappear because of the ability to create materials that can absorb bullets because it's a, a totally different state of matter. It's like a black hole. These Proton 21 researchers said it was like creating miniature black holes right in the lab. Not like they're going to escape and annihilate the Earth. It's not like that. They're just microscopic. They're contained, but they absorb materials. They, they shred matter. Jeremy, let's just say what. When they shred matter, they give off a lot of light, they glow, and if it's compressed in the right way, it'll become like this self-sustaining soliton, uh, you know, like a standing wave that looks like ball lightning. Now, one connection there back to cryptids is the glowing eyes. We've all heard about this from witnesses. On moonless nights, they see these red eyes or yellow eyes or other colors. I talked to a witness recently. It's on my YouTube channel, Barbara. And she had been camping with a group of archaeologists working with Smithsonian in the 70s at China Lake Naval Reserve. They just got permission to go on the reserve where there were Indian uh, arrowheads and and higher petroglyphs and stuff. And she said, you know, Bigfoot came up to the tent. It, It was stroking her face through the tent. She thought it was the other guy in the tent, but it wasn't. And they all went out and they saw this. Bigfoot, she said, 12 feet away, 9 to 10 feet, with glowing yellow eyes, light greenish at the edges. No moon was not night. So these these creatures emit light. I think it's the same type of light that's getting emitted by ball lightning and orbs. I think they're powered by orbs internally, some, somehow, you know, microscopically in their bodies. They're generating through cavitation or Cavitation means high, high-frequency high, uh, high vibration will generate these orbs. Uh, you, you can generate these charge clusters just with uh, sonic cleaning equipment that you can buy on Amazon, you know, that, that's designed to clean jewelry. That's, anything that's sonic vibrations like that, that's a cleaning, you know, vibration will create little charge clusters. Now, they don't last very long. They'll dissipate again, but if you... Do it in the right way, and you look under an electron microscope, you'll see this pitting that we talked about, the melting, all that. So are the cryptids doing this through some sort of cavitation? Is it because they're just walking around? I mean, all you need to create ball lightning orbs is some sort of compression one way or another. and It just has to be contained and self-sustained, and then there's this catalytic reaction that takes over. I mean, Maybe other people have different ideas, but when I hear people say that these cryptids have glowing eyes, not reflecting light, I'm talking to emitting light, you know, like a phosphorescent sea creature, but bright, you know, uh, enough to that it casts light on the floor, the forest floor. I mean, that is really interesting. I, I mean, to me, that just seems like a whole other state of matter. I don't think it's some sort of chemical reaction in there. I think, again, we're dealing with some sort of fundamental physics. That's just my view of it. 
And you mentioned shredding matter, the ability for uh, this to go through the body, which then brings up a a whole nother can of worms, the ability that these uh, could have to uh, pull off mutilations of of cattle and uh, other livestock. No, I'm right there with you on that sort of thinking. Um, You know, you hear that these animal mutilations, when investigators look at the wounds, they say it looks like it was cut by a laser. It's like this hermetic. Yeah, they do say like the, just, the precision, you know, it rules out a lot of things. I don't think it's a laser. I know that's what our minds think. We're used to Star Wars lightsabers and all that stuff. I don't think anyone's going out there with a laser and doing this, okay? I think it's Again, a laser-like effect, maybe. Yes, yes, it's a laser-like effect. That this is my view, and again, I'm happy to be proven wrong. But uh, you get these animal mutilations where you see balls of light and orbs. Skinwalker Ranch, Marley Woods. Just same stuff as Skinwalker Ranch, even more so, according to Ted Phillips. The orbs, the mutilations, the explosions that will kill animals. There's something that preceded the laser in our science history. It was called the maser. Laser is coherent light, but before there was the laser, there was coherent microwave radiation, which was called the maser. And it's a very, masers can cut like a knife uh, just as easily as a laser can. And, Balls of light, ball lightning can emit maser-like energy, okay? Uh, again, going back to the Lockheed Martin patent, coherent matter wave beams, they mention lasers, but they say they have something, they can invent something a million times more powerful than a laser, and they call it uh, this coherent matter wave beams or maybe a baser because it's bosonic, you know, it's particles joining up together. Ordinary particles, not even photons. But, yeah, I'm thinking along the lines you are here, Jeremy. Now, this could be wrong, but you get these animal mutilations where you see orbs. And we know that orbs generate x-rays. They generate microwaves. And they're extremely coherent. And it's quite possible they're capable of creating. It would be easily possible for them to create these laser-like cuts. Why? Because that's exactly what you see in cold fusion experiments. If you look at it under electron scanning microscope, all you have to do is go to the Martin Fleischman Memorial yeah. Project YouTube channel. Yes, and you'll see Bob Greenier showing all of these different cold fusion lunar experiments they've done over the years. And what do you see? Laser-like cuts in metals at room temperature without any heating. With no laser present, just from... These okay. orbs, microball lightning. So is this yeah. more than just a discharge? Do you think this is maybe an engineered weapon of some sort? That is a really good question. I, I don't know. I think if I I think if I said to you, yes. I mean, I think if I said to you, I think it's just ball lightning just doing this because that's what ball lightning does, like an emission, like you're talking about. Like ball lightning comes apart at the end, it explodes, it does all sorts of stuff. <clears throat> um if I just said it was <clears throat> ball lightning doing this, I don't think that would explain it. But it does seem intentional, doesn't it? Um, but 
All we can say at this point is Bull Lightning is capable of making cuts like that. <clears throat> Did, has someone found a way to harness it, to direct it at a distance? I don't know. Okay. But all I'm, I think we can establish one thing here. You don't need lasers to make laser-like cuts. You can do it with uh, microwave radiation just as easily, and that's, that's what you get with micro ball lightning, ball lightning orbs, is this microwave radiation, soft x-rays. Uh, the charge density of ball lightning, it's just beyond belief. It's like two, two, almost three amps per square picometer. Do you know how small a picometer is? It's really small. Picometer, tiny, tiny. You get three amps, almost three amps per time. I mean, it's just an incredibly huge amount of it. Now, I just want to say one thing here. I got interested in this topic from crop circles because of all the camera and battery yep. failure I saw with the crop circle group. So I got to know. Crop circles. Are these things of. I uh, saw it with my own eyes. Because we know about uh, yeah. these these flashes of light seen over crop circles. So is ball lightning right. making these precision cuts? Hello. Hello. <laughs> I, <clears throat> there's a connection there because I've seen ball lightning around crop circles. I didn't see it create the crop circles, but I saw it afterwards. I've seen it in the sky and I've seen it on the ground around crop circles. Other people have seen it. Um, I have seen the cameras and batteries. Fail. I've seen electronics literally self-destruct in a crop circle in a way that never happens at the beach or the mountains or when you're on vacation at Disneyland. It does not happen, but you go to crop circles. I've seen it myself. Maybe 5-10% of the crop circles are active like this. Why they have this symmetric, coherent, physical pattern, you know? Fractal-like shape. They're organizing the matter in some way to... I think at a minimum, Jeremy, we can say they're organizing the matter around their space in some sort of coherent fashion, whether it's, I, I thought maybe 10 years ago, it could be dark energy, something cosmological being spun around in that sort of toroidal form that the crop circle spiral forms, you know, it was organizing matter in, in some way. But you definitely have charge clusters around crop circles because I can attest to that from what I've seen with cameras and batteries. They'll either fail or just do wacky stuff that shows that they're on the fritz, which indicates that they've absorbed excessive charge and their circuits are you know, getting shorted out. It's just not working the way it's supposed to. The coherent matter does not work well with electronics, and again, it just tends to short it out. Now, this is what we see around haunted sightings, right? Ghosts, crop circles, UFOs, and Bigfoot cryptids. I think it's the same effect. I think it's these, you know, Clusters of, of particles that are coherently interconnected that can really just do a lot of really strange stuff electromagnetically that ordinary matter. I mean, it just doesn't do it. I mean, it's real high concentrations of energy. And when they come apart again, they also release energy, absorb energy. And this is why you get those temperature changes at haunted locations, especially cryptids. Do people report it get, getting very cold before they uh, saw the Bigfoot, experienced the Bigfoot in their area? The quiet, the sudden quiet and a temperature change, that is totally indicative of coherent matter because to create that coherency can absorb a lot of energy. Phys physics calls it negative temperatures. It's not technically like cold, not, not that type of negative. It's negative because the, you're getting less motion as you put more energy into the system versus more motion, which is what you know gases are compared to solids, you're getting less motion 
as you put more energy in, it's, it's sucking energy in from the environment. So you get those temperature changes, and, and we've seen a lot of this stuff around crop circles. That's just why I think, of, you know, you asked me at the beginning how to study this. It's just from my observations going to the U.K., seeing crop circles maybe over 20 times, these strange effects. But when I read that this was happening around Bigfoot encrypted, I mean, I just thought, <clears throat> this is not a coincidence. It has to be some similar effect. I mean, again, they're different phenomena. I'm not saying Bigfoot are in crop circles. Bigfoot are creating crop circles. I'm just saying you're getting some of the same types of effects around both, which suggests that there's some same principles at work there. Well, not only the cold temperatures, but also the heat, because I'm imagining that these balls of lights would also generate heat. They do, but they're not generating heat directly. Uh, you could be by one and you don't feel anything. They're generating heat because they're causing motion in the air and they're causing ionization and so forth. In other words, they're generating a lot of activity, and that creates heat. Like, ball lightning, when it goes into bathtubs, has been seen from time to time. It'll literally boil the water. But if you get near the ball lightning, you won't feel heat. You know what I mean? It's the microwave energy, right? Your microwave is not physically getting hot, but it can heat food, right? Same principle. Absolutely. What a fascinating conversation, yeah. uh, Doctor. I appreciate you coming on tonight. Yeah. Final comments to the audience in the in the next minute we have together? Sure. Well, I, I would say I think this is an absolutely fascinating time that we're alive in right now, that we're having this conversation at all, that Congress is looking into some of these phenomena, and that we're getting books like Skinwalkers at the Pentagon from people that worked at the Defense Intelligence Agency. So I would say believe in your experiences. And if you've had uh, experiences like this, you know, tell someone about it. Go find a researcher. The more we share information together, the more we'll learn about this. I mean, the time to be silent about this is over. We, we should be talking about this. Feel free to contact me if you want to share any stories. And uh, feel free to look at my YouTube channel. Just look up my name, Simeon Hine, on YouTube, Twitter. Or, again, go to newcrystalmind.com. Uh, I'm also happy to send people signed copies of Dark Matter Monsters that you can find a link uh, at the top of newcrystalmind.com. Any services that you provide that you want to promote? Yeah, I mean, we do remote viewing classes. Those classes I teach live a couple times a year via Zoom. Uh, I have coaching available for people that want to have coaching and consulting. And various recorded remote viewing classes if you want to try this out for yourself. I want to say one more thing here. Even in the early remote viewing program when they had Yuri Geller at SRI, they had some of these strange effects just with remote viewing and PK, so. I'm happy to, to, if you're interested in well-being, feel free to contact me also for way to learn it. Dr. Simeon Hine, uh, again, the website, darkmattermonsters.com, newcrystalmind.com, and he's author of Dark Matter Monsters, Cryptids, Ball Lightning, The Science of uh, Secret Life Forms. It's such a pleasure to have you on the program, and I look forward to uh, talking with you again. Yeah, thanks very much, Jeremy. I really enjoyed it. Take care. Good night, everyone, from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. It is so great to be in 2023 together with you. Make sure you give us a follow uh, to stay up to date uh, minute by minute as this show continues to grow uh, from one corner of the country to the next. Until then, Jeremy Scott, good night and God bless.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.